Jason Rydell is the co-founder and CTO at Aspireship, a learning and talent platform for the SaaS industry. Aspireship teaches people how to enter sales, account management, and other go-to market positions in the tech industry. Jason got his start in the tech industry just before the dot-com bubble. He is self-taught. While many people switch industries after the dot-com bubble, Jason stuck with it. He worked his way up. One day he heard that there was a job fair that eBay was having. He interviewed, but he thought he had no chance against people with way more experience and college degrees. To his surprise, he got the job. He worked his way up all the way to senior architect. Listen to learn Jason's story. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Every sub is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today, I have Jason Rydell. Can you give a brief introduction of yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Jason Rydell. I'm the co-founder and CTO at Aspireship, which is a uh, talent hiring platform for the SaaS industry. And um, gosh, what else do I want to say about myself? I've been doing computers for over 20 years. Um, obviously, didn't go to college. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's, that's about it, I guess. Okay, cool. So let's kind of take it back. How was high school like for you? And what'd you want to be in high school? Oh, man, right out the gate with high school. <laughs> so in, in high school, I was a chameleon. I, I hung out with all different groups of friends. So, you know, I'd hang out with like the jocks and I'd play Magic the Gathering with the nerds and I'd play hacky sack with the skaters. And so I think um, I continue to follow in that pattern where I'm kind of somebody who gets along with everybody. Um, high school was a bore in terms of learning. Of course, I was not interested. I remember I didn't attend my uh, electronics class, which was in my senior year that I got the opportunity to take that, but I was the only kid that passed the final. So it's like weird. Cause like, I didn't go to, you know, more than maybe like 10 days in the whole semester. In fact, after my class, my graduating class graduated, they made a rule about number of periods you could miss, not just number of days. Cause we were just so bad at showing up. But anyway, I was bored, but I was always able to learn and apply. And that was my gift. Um, and so that's kind of like the, in a nutshell, what high school was like for me. You know, I mostly just had fun. I, I got good grades, but I wasn't trying, you know. Now, would you want to be in high school? Oh, I, I wanted to do what I'm doing today. So I, I have the gift. This is like one of my gifts, I think, is that I've known that I wanted to work with computers since I was about somewhere between nine and 12 years old. Um, but I'm pretty sure nine, cause that was nine was like the first time I saw a computer enter my household. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> right. And, uh, that fascination, uh, and infatuation stuck with me. So, uh, I want, I knew I wanted to work with computers in terms of what I wanted to do. I wanted to make them do stuff, which is what a programmer does. And so that is, you know, obviously what I do today. So, wow, that that's cool, man. And then, so. What'd you end up doing after high school? Oh, good question. <laughs> so I started working in computers in high school. Number one, I was working yeah. full time and going to school. But after high school, um, let's see, I was working. Well, at actually, let me stop you there. So what job were you doing in high school? Yeah. Yeah. As I say, you don't want to kind of go forward too far because it. I started so young. Um, yeah. So I my first jobs were not computer jobs. I was at like Pizza Hut, for example. But then I was only there a short while, just a few months. And then um, a friend of mine who was very talented and a little older than me got a job at an internet service provider. And so um, I went down to where he worked and I basically went down there with my resume and I walked right into the building. No, no like 
totally cold, right? And just walked in and was like, may I speak to the hiring manager? And I handed him my resume. And uh, they, long story short, they told me, go get your A-plus certification and um, come back when you have it. So two weeks later, I come back with my A-plus certification. And this is crazy because it's like 99. And like, and like, they were like, what the hell? Okay. And then, you know, so they, they hired me on the It spot. always starts with the A-plus certification for a lot of yeah, people. Back then, yeah. I mean, and back then it was like, man, I remember being, I remember knowing a lot of stuff, but I learned a lot in the A-plus because, you know, there's, there's knowing enough to be dangerous. And then there's knowing like why things are the way they are. And so uh, how'd you the, learn the A-plus stuff? Yeah. Like, so I borrowed money from my dad. <laughs> Um, this is the only time I've ever borrowed. Well, actually, there's two times. One, the second time was like, "Don't touch your house. Uh, don't touch your money for buying your first house." And so, loaned me that, and then I gave it right back to him because you're not allowed to touch it in escrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That weird but anyway, thing. Anyway, the, the, the other time was for the five hundred dollars, and it was to get that. Uh, uh, there's a boot. There was a boot camp uh, yeah. that existed, and uh, it was physical. Like you went yeah. there for two weeks. So I went to that boot camp for two weeks, and that that's how I passed. Yeah. Wow. And how old were you then? 16. Okay. So you got the job. They're like, all right, this kid's smart. So how was the job like for you? Oh, it was good. You know, it was tech support, you know, started doing tech and sales. Uh, a lot of people don't know. I always forget to tell this part because I, I forget. You got to understand I'm 38. So this is 22 years ago. So my memory is not what it used to be. Um, and I, I remember do, having to do 50% sales and 50% phone support. And that was really cool, honestly, because I remember being really good at sales. Um, and just naturally a talker, you know, and I was able to get people to buy I don't know if you know what a shotgun modem is, but it's when you take two modems and you bond them together. So you would take like 288 and turn in 56 K or you would take like 56 and turn into, you know, whatever the math is on that. Cause it's not 128. It's throwing me off. But, uh, but anyway, you know, that was, that was those days. And I would sell those accounts and get some sort of commission. I was making, you know, seven bucks an hour type thing. And then I wasn't in that role very long before they promoted me twice. So, and I only was at that company for a year and a half and it shut down because that was, that was just before the dot-com bubble. Oh, that was and then tough. a year and a half later, it was the bubble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember, so, it was, I, I remember story, like, I don't remember personally, but I have friends and they're like, dot-com was crazy. Like, it I was have like to company tell you just, about it. I have to, yeah, I'm tell sorry me. to cut you off, but the, no, the energy me. around this topic is amazing because I remember being in there for tech support and everyone around me was older and, and was going to school for either computer science or CIS. And here I am, and I've kind of like made up my mind that I can teach myself to do computers better. So I'm not going to need college for that. I might need it for other things. Like I've always been interested in human psychology and other areas or history. And I'm like, I would love to be well-rounded and all these different aspects. But for computers, I was like, I got this, so I'm not going to need it. But I was so intimidated because everyone around me is going to school for it. Well, when the bubble burst, everyone around me dropped, at, well, excuse me, changed their major. Oh, man. And, and they just, they jumped out of computers entirely. I still talk to all these people. And they all are like, like, you know, they're, they're doing other jobs and they're not in technology at all. And I'm like, that's amazing. And, and I always think about how that benefited me was the fact that I, I was always doing it for the love of it. And you could tell me you'd pay me $5, I'd still be doing it, you know, but since that led me to being persistent and consistent and staying in it. And while I was doing that, it really benefited me because here's this, this guy who, didn't go to school for it, loves it, but just continues to do it. And um, there was a huge drought of talent then. And so I had no problems getting jobs. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Cause yeah, my friend was telling me like how people became rich overnight. Like he said, like, oh man, he knew a guy who was like a tech recruiter and the guy would just like place people left and right. And it was just 
crazy printing money. So much money. Yeah. I, I saw it because I I'd be sitting there and you know people would walk up and drop stacks of cash on people's desk and you're like what is going on this feels like drugs like what is happening <laughs> I mean that was a very different time in tech because you know I was in a clubhouse room with the uh, CEO founder of Netflix not the CEO anymore but he mentioned he was like look back in the day if I wanted a, a payment processing I had to hook it up to this I had to have my own server I had to do all this he's like now you just have Shopify right like it's it's such a different um time frame so what job did you take after that uh so after um, that company was PSN internet services and it was local to Arizona where I live and after that I jumped uh to a company called Cable One and they are no longer called Cable One they're now called Sparklight but they were owned by the Washington Post they have since been divested cuz if you're paying attention Bezos bought the Washington Post and the one thing he didn't buy was Cable One and so when they split off they went to Sparklight but that was the new cable modem so when I was at PSN I was doing dial up and DSL when I went to Cable One I was doing cable modem the way I got the Cable One job was you know one thing led to another I met a guy at PSN he uh, left PSN on his own account and uh, went to Cable One. And so when I found out I was losing my job, I had kept in touch with him and said, hey, can you give me a job over there? And um, I went over there. Wow. So how was how that next job? You know, in all my jobs, and I want to make sure this point is clear, because one of the things I see nowadays is a lack of humility with people. And you don't have a degree. You got to be willing to start at the bottom. And every job I had, even though I was far more knowledgeable, like from like at PSN, I went from uh, level one tech support to level two to senior systems administrator. And they literally, you know, kept giving me all this money. And in high school, I was making way more money than I ever needed. I bought my first house at 19, just as evidence, right? So it's like one of my accomplishments or whatever. But then I go to cable one, I have to start at the bottom again, right? Because you just consistently have to prove yourself. But I never once hesitated in taking a job on the phones and being like, I'll work my way up every time. You know, um, some people love to be the underdog. I think that's kind of part of my, 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 um, what do they call that? Not breed, but, uh, I forget. No, it just, I mean, it's a great mentality yeah. to have because a lot of times it's like, sometimes you do have to start from the bottom. And the fact is, it's like, as long as the organization is decent, they'll kind of see you for your talent and just shoot you right back up. So, and it's good, you know, it keeps you grounded. It, it helps you understand because I think, Starting at the bottom in different companies is different, right? A bottom at one company is different. different. Yeah, the DNA of these companies are different. You learn so much. And uh, just climbing the organization, you learn so much. And yeah, same thing in Cable One. I went from bottom to top uh, for that pyramid as well. So now, what was the next company that you kind of went after? So after Cable One, I had the worst job that I ever had. Uh, let's <laughs> let's talk about it. The company still exists today. It's called uh, well at the time it was called uh, Pearson Digital Learning PDL, but they they Pearson is a conglomerate. They own a ton of names and brands, but they yeah, make Pearson like, and Kaplan. They just own so much. It's it's crazy own, what they own. Yeah, just cra- they own so many publishers. But but primarily their business, I think, is education. They they own a lot of educational products. I worked uh, on the Unix Services team in production engineering for uh, Pearson Digital Learning, but. It became Pearson School Systems and then Pearson Education. So I think today, if you're following, it's Pearson Education. But worst job I ever had, uh, I would have such a bad on-call rotation. I'd get physically sick. Also, the job was 45 minutes from my house. I mean, there was like a million things. I had a boss throw his badge at me. Oh, man. <laughs> I cut my hand. I was bleeding in the server room from like... Does, does that even have... Do people even bleed on IT jobs? Like, that's rare, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I was like literally blood, sweat, and tears at this job. <laughs> But uh, like I say, I'm physically sick and just very stressed out. And I, I became quite a, a a drinker at that job. I was I was 21. I had like just turned or 21, 22. 
And um, I remember wanting to quit that job uh, within the first week. Then the first week I was like, I got to quit. This place is like sinking shit, terrible, toxic culture, bad leadership, you name it. And um, my friend who I just met there, his name is Bill Reback, And he's still, he's at Peloton right now. He's the SRE manager over there. But like, he, he said, no, nah, man, you can't quit. You got you to give it at least a year. And I'm like, F. <laughs> I want to quit now. But I'm like, all right, Bill, you know what? Not for the job, but for you, I want to stay a year. And I did. I stayed exactly a year. And um, then I uh, found a job posting for eBay and I applied cold and got in. How was that year? Like, did it get better or did you bleed again? No, I never got better. Uh, <laughs> to be man. honest, anybody from that old team, that, 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 those, I still talk to them. We would all agree. I mean, it was bad and it, it's, it, it did not get better. Okay. What did you end up telling Bill after a year? I didn't have to. We, we, um, this is a little embarrassing because I was planning to leave. We knew I was planning to leave. I was on a five-person team. Three of the five, which me being one of them, quit uh, in the same two-week time period. So when I gave my notice, two other people did as well. But those two other people didn't have jobs to go to. I quit because I had a new job. They quit because they had had enough and weren't going to do it without me. <laughs> oh, man. They were so just like, all right. I was really mad because my director came up to me and got mad at me. And I'm like, I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's your own fault. You should have managed. Uh, okay, yes. Cool. So now you got the job at eBay. How, what was going through your mind? How'd you feel? Oh man, you know, I thought it was a fake job posting. So here I am sitting in Arizona. Monster.com back in the day was the yeah, big yeah. job thing. Monster uh, and Dice, right? Monster and yeah. Dice were pretty big. Yeah, they were big. And it's funny, now we think of Indeed and like ZipRecruiter and things. But in any case, um, I saw this job posting on Monster for eBay. And I had saw it three months before they ever called me. So I had applied right away because I knew at the time I was like, oh, if you can get your resume in quick, you'll be at the top of the piles, how my mind was processing. Anyway, I didn't get a call for like three months. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, I get a call from a guy claiming to be a recruiter for eBay. And I was like, what? And, and also, you know, I was saying eBay in Phoenix. And I'm like, they're not in Phoenix. They're not in Arizona. Like, So the whole thing didn't make sense. I thought it was a way to like, you know, but I thought, what the hell? What do I got to lose? Maybe get some spam calls or something, you know? And so I applied, a guy called me and he did a tech screen and it was hard. I remember it being hard, but I always loved those. I was like, yeah, Ooh, that was hard. That felt good. Give me another one. Back in those days, I felt very, very like sharp. I, I would yeah. wager that like, you know, like, as you said, the world is caught up to my knowledge level now. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like I know a lot less. There's so much to know. But back in those days, I felt like, man, I was on top of the world. Plus just my age, right? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really young. hadn't set in yet. And so anyway, um, that first call screen went well. And then, um, they, you know, just had, they had me go to this on-site interview with basically like 200 people in town. And for, um, there were three hiring managers that flew in from California. They were basically opening, uh, their operations to Phoenix for the first time. And they were trying to establish a brand new office. They were hiring for the network operations center, basically the first generation team of that, um, network operations center. And they were only hiring like five people. And they had like, let's say like 200 people there. So I remember doing the interview and I called my father after I said, dad said, I didn't get it. He's like, why, you know, why? it's actually a voicemail. I said, I didn't get it. You know, it wasn't that I did bad or terrible. It's just that I didn't do anything to stand out, dad. So, and then you could just hear like how dragged down I was in my voice. And uh, after I left that voicemail within 30 minutes, the hiring manager who would become my manager called me and said, Hey, please don't accept any other offers. We're getting the paperwork together to make you an offer. And I was like, what? <laughs> Oh man, that's so awesome. I was blown away because I remember sitting in the waiting room and these guys were 
basically measuring to get what I mean. They're like talking about how smart they are. And here's me, I'm, you know, I'm 20, whatever. And I'm like intimidated. I remember this, the senior male admin of GoDaddy was there. And like all these people with more qualifications and credentials in my head than me uh, were there. But I, I, you know, I remember doing well in the interview, just didn't think I stood out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So now you got the job. Now, how was this? This was, this can't be the worst job. So Uh, no, this was of course one of the best. (laughs) Because I ended up being there 10 and a half years the first time and then going back for another, I think, two. Um, anyway, um, yeah, it was, what was that job like? Oh, man. Um, it was like a dream job, you know, because because I think a lot of us want impact and a lot of us want um, to know that you're working on something important. And in those days, I also wanted to be cutting edge. And I had associated big tech companies with cutting edge. Which, by the way, I think is a huge fallacy. <laughs> but in any case, um, once I got a job there, I was exposed to so much learning and so much. Um, that was the biggest company I'd ever worked at, even at that time. You know, it was small, but growing with it, I mean, just grew me um, in amazing ways, and obviously it provided me with opportunities. But probably the biggest thing I would say is my network. I mean, the the number of people. I met and to this day know, um, yeah, just continues to propel me forward. Yeah, no, I mean, PayPal did a lot of things. I remember my uncle had a PayPal account and I was able, able to buy something online through his PayPal, but it didn't ship. And then the people, <laughs> it, didn't like, <laughs> it didn't ship. But I, I did buy a couple of things, you know, it was like, you know, PayPal account. That was like the thing, right? You had PayPal, you could like buy things online and, you know, e commerce, e commerce was, you know, a couple of things. I think I bought a PDF too, right? That was like the, that was another thing I bought um, using a PayPal account. So how'd you learn and how'd you move up in the company? I have always learned by basically two methods. Um, the first is that I'm, I have a gift of, of learning through reading. So I'm one of those people who can learn through reading. I've also recently discovered I'm highly auditory too. So like if I read, if I listen to like an audible book, I tend or to- a podcast. I mean, yeah, I love podcasts. Or a podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, shout out to the Indie Hackers podcast, which is a, a startup building one. I listen to that one all the time. It's a great podcast. But in any case, um, yeah, those are the ways I learn. So I read, apply, and then repeat. And that's the number one way I learn. So whenever I'm trying to learn something, I always look for a book. So when I was internal to the organization, I would read the documentation and it sucked. And so then I would basically go to people and try to write it. Right. If the documentation was missing, I'd be like, well, we need to know this and how it works and dig in. And that skill set, believe it or not, just for whoever's listening, is one of the most critical skill sets that helped me was it can be technical writing. Yeah, it's tech writing. But like if you're in an organization, you don't understand how something works and there's some, it's locked in somebody's head, document it. Right. Because now you'll understand it. It's like that old like you, you teach it, it's the best way to learn it type of thing. Um, if you can teach it. So that's one one way I learned. And the other is, you know, seeking and finding mentors, which is kind of what I was alluding to is like, you find the people that know, and that are willing to teach, and you latch on. And I've heard other guests on your podcast talk about that. But that's crucially important. Now, the thing is, like, how do you approach mentorship? Because it's something that a lot of people don't realize, right? Like some people, and people have different definitions of mentorship. Like some people will watch someone on YouTube and say, that's my mentor. I never really considered that. I was like, no, you know, that's not. But how do you find a mentor and how do you identify it? Because that itself is a skill because not everybody has the capacity. And then 
you need several different mentors because each mentor has a different thing that they like doing with you. Use the term generally, and you're alluding to how overloaded the term is, and I, I totally agree. And also that, you know, there's a lot of people out there who say, you know, you can't seek and find a mentor, they have to find you. And I would agree with that in terms of a certain definition of mentorship, which is the one where um, basically you want to find people who care about you. Yeah, and if 100%. they care about you, they will help you. And those people exist. But the first rule to finding a mentor is helping yourself. Nobody's going to help you unless you help yourself. Like, I'll be the first to tell you, I'll help anybody. But if they're not willing to show me they're willing to work, I'm not helping them at all. Because you can't push somebody through a door. It just doesn't work that way. They got to walk through the door on their own. But you might be able to give them a lot of tools to help them. But if they do nothing with that, you're not giving them any more tools. You know, they got to show you they're willing to take the steps to make the progression to advance. But if they're not willing to do that, you're not going to do that. Yeah, I'm the same way because I've seen it time and time again. I always throw the offer. Like, look, if you need questions, this and that, especially like high school, I was like, look, I'm not going to charge you any money. You're in high school. And look, I know how it was. And, but a lot of them don't ask. And I, I've had it previously where I would go out of my way to kind of help. But it, it's just like, look, until they want to do it themselves. And I tell people, look, and I actually made it my last, I think I made a TikTok video that's coming up where it's like, look, the best way to get people to help you is to help yourself because when they see people will invest in people who invest in themselves because it's just natural. It's like, why would I try to push? Like, I'm not your father. I'm not your mother, right? It's one thing if it's a close family member, but it takes so much energy to sort of push someone who doesn't, who's not ready yet. And it's okay. Some people are ready at different points in their lives, but when someone's ready, it, it can go far. So how do you go about helping yourself and attracting those these type of people? So I think I think what like kind of I was alluding to this before. If I'm like a high school student nowadays and I want to break into tech, I think what I'd be doing is learning how to do the thing I want to do and then making videos about it on YouTube so that I've got this public portfolio of me teaching other people how to do the thing I just learned how to do. And so yeah, you may not get a following and yeah, you may not um, you know, that may not be your business, but it will help you be seen, be visible and be competent in the things you want to go and do. And I think in a lot of ways, pre, pre YouTube and pre all these social media things, that's what I did. I walked in with my resume, I beat the door down and I took the steps to show them I can do this. Let me do it. And I didn't care. They could have said, get my coffee and I would have did it. I actually did do it. I'm not, there was a job I had. I was trying to impress a guy that I wanted to mentor me and I would get him his coffee. That's what I would do. And nowadays people are like, oh my God, that's demeaning. I would, dude, what do you want to like, get next to Michael Jordan? Would you not get Michael Jordan's coffee? I would get Michael Jordan's coffee. Do what you got to do, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look, hundred percent. It's one thing if he says, get your coffee and that's not part of your my, job that's description. Different. That's not, that's different. That's, that's demeaning. But you know, just helping someone. It's more you know. like, hey, I brought you some coffee. Hey, what are you working on? It's more like that. <laughs> Not, hey, give me some coffee. No, that's different. A lot of people don't realize that like relationships are give and take and mentorship is really give and take. And a lot of people don't realize that you have things to give in different forms. And then a lot of people just care about the appreciation. Like, hey, this Jason thought of me. Jason, Jason cares about me, so I'm going to care about him. And then you'd be surprised at just like how these small interactions just go a long way. It's like, yeah, Jason, you, you know, and I'm pretty sure the funny story they're like, yeah, Jason's just has his own company, but I remember he used to get me my coffee and I used to teach him that. And it's like a funny story that they probably share for the rest of their life. Yeah. And I, I want to say this about what you were saying about mentorship being a two-way street. I think it's a really important point. So I didn't want to lose it, but 
the CTO of PayPal um, and I used to have one-on-ones, uh, Sri Shivanada, and he's a great, wonderful guy. And he's known for walking around the campus and, and being accessible, right? Being available to people to help them. And one of the things he um, publicizes is reverse mentorship. And that's the idea that he's constantly learning from people just coming up. Um, and I would 100% agree with that, which is that you can never lose sight of the fact that everybody has something you can learn from, some perspective, as long as you're willing to listen and try to understand. And um, there's so much you will learn doing that with countless individuals, right? Uh, a lot of the way we approach the world is unique to how we see it. And the more um, sort of opinions you can expose yourself to, the more well-rounded your views will be and the better you can create solutions that matter. Yeah. And then like, I kind of want to kind of go a little deeper on this is like, for example, you, a lot of people don't realize that I tell people, look, there's so many ways that you can add value. Like uh, I'll tell people, I was like, what are you good at? And they'll say, Hey, I, I know video editing. I was like, dude, if, Tell someone that, hey, I'll you have a recorded interview. I'll edit, I'll put a slap on a title. I slap on this. That's something. Uh, I, people, a lot of people are younger kids are good with a camera or something. I'll be like, you talk to you know you know someone older. Just say, hey, I'll offer to take your headshot for free. You know, it, it'll be decent enough. Like these type of things, they're just like so much. And then a lot of people don't realize that it doesn't have to be value from like a higher up. There's just so many things that you could do to add value. I know like some people, I just talk to them about a niche sport because, you know, they don't follow it. And these are things that it's just, again, building relationships. And for example, I like my mentor, I'll teach her about some things about social media. And then she asked me, hey, do you know anybody who can uh, do a website? And I have a decent network. So she's like, you know what? I can connect you with someone. So these things like figure out what problems they have and figure out how you can solve them. Like if you're younger, tell them, be like, hey, do you have kids? I'll help them with their college applications. I'll I'll help them with their high school thing because I'm I know these things, and you'd be surprised at just how far these things can go. Like my like my nephew, he's like whatever, he's turning fourteen, and he makes videos on TikTok for me. Like he'll take clips and edit, and he just edits on his phone, and it's just like I learn a lot. I was like, wow, it's crazy, like what you can do. And then he tells me how he screen records on an app, and then he cuts out the audio. He'll screen record this, cut out the video, and mash it up. But it's very good to stay on top of things because it's like I see a lot of people they just like they just don't understand these things and they sort of get left behind right and as a business owner right and as someone being like the CTO of PayPal right they have to know like what are the kids are oh, people are using Venmo people are using this people are using that it's like these are things that really impact you know and I think PayPal bought Venmo right brain tree who bought Venmo but yeah yes but you know these are things that or else what happens is eventually they just get too big and you don't want the blockbuster Netflix situation where it's like, you know, you just lost out on crazy opportunity. So now what are some other things that you did well to sort of rise up in PayPal? So you sought mentorship, you know, you were very friendly. You always saw you did what you had to do. What else did you do that set yourself apart? So the thing that's always set me apart in the technology sector is that I'm, I'm more people oriented. Um, so you know, a lot of engineers are very logical and they're very, um, they're not the feeler types. They're a little bit more uh, rough around the edges and they're, they're not willing to go and sell their ideas. They're not willing to go and educate others. They're like, hey, you know, my idea is smart and that's the way it is. You should all, you know, fall in line because this is the best idea. And it's like, you know, especially when you're in a large organization, you can never be like, just because my idea is the best, everybody's going to understand it right out the gate or even listen to you. People don't like being talked to certain ways, right? There's a lot of finesse and there's a lot of, um, uh, what's the word, influence that has to go into uh, making an idea become a reality in a large organization or any organization that has, let's say, 
uh, more than 10 people that need buy-in for a decision or something like that. So in my career, what really helped me was being able to do that. I would, I would partner with somebody, let's say they had a great idea and I'd say, Hey, let me understand it with you. Let me poke holes in it, firm it up. Once we get there, I'll help you evangelize the architecture. And so that evangelism role I always played was, was, uh, massively, um, powerful in that in the end, we ended up accomplishing some very difficult things that took years to accomplish, but were the right ideas to get behind. Um, I always like to tell people I, I coined the, or I thought I coined it, I don't know, but the phrase uh, social architecture. And I also tell my current team at Aspireship that I have no original ideas. What I do is I listen to other people's ideas and I aggregate them together and then I compound on them, right? And that for me has always created the mind share the best outcome for everyone is they were where everyone's ideas are evaluated uh, at merit and then um, executed on. And uh, I think that's the right way for business. And anyway, that's what's helped me in my career is just uh, always being open to other people's ideas and really digging in to understand their viewpoint and why. Uh, what are the incentives? What are the you know pros and cons of each and why, why we should do it and all those different things. I mean, that's a great way to sort of lead because I've seen it happen time and time again, where it's like ideas are dismissed. And eventually when you dismiss all the ideas, people just stop contributing ideas because they're like, why would I contribute? There's no incentive for me to contribute. And it, it just really changes the way your organization, how people are and all that. Cause ideas are, it, it doesn't matter what idea, who comes up with the idea. All that matters is, Hey, the best idea wins. And when you have an organization, People really respect that because they know like, hey, look, if I come up with the best idea, I'll, I'll, it'll be, it'll happen. It'll make the place better. And it's because you see, you know, you've heard of organizations where it's like, hey, and I've been in organizations. Oh, whatever the VP likes, that's what everybody has to say. And you have to come up with a crazy case. And it just sucks because it's like, all right, we're not even going to say anything because they love this and that's it. They like how things are done and it just kills the organization. And I know it's just like people are only in it until they just get something better. Yeah, 100%. You're 100% about all of that. That's 100% true. You, you know, working in an organization where uh, it's somebody's way or the highway will never b bring out innovation and it will never bring out the right challenges and diversity of thought. You'll end up in a box and uh, not a good box and um, people will leave, right? They won't be inspired and motivated. The best way to, I think, to uh, bring out the best in people is to embrace their ideas and help them refine them, help them get them better. Um, and that ultimately, again, then, then share that with everyone openly and, and, and discuss, is, is this good or bad? And I think that's the best way uh, to create productivity and innovation in an organization. So you mentioned something called SRE. What is an SRE? So SRE is Site Reliability Engineering. And if you look at my background, we haven't really discussed this. Uh, probably most people assume I've been a programmer. I haven't. Um, historically, I'm not a developer. I've always written code, but like my title's never been developer. My title has been what is now called SRE. Um, but used to be called operations or infrastructure. So SRE are the people that keep the sites up and running. And it's a broad range of uh, skill sets from, you know, being able to fix uh, the underbelly of the operating system and the servers, uh, the software running on them, but also the delivery of the applications, the actual what's called release engineering, software delivery, and um, just ongoing uh, runtime management of those applications. So like, if it's experiencing errors or if there was a problem with a release, you got to deal with those uh, those things uh, from a reliability perspective. So fixing it. So like at yeah. Apple or Google, something breaks, SRE gets called. Okay. So how does someone become an SRE nowadays? 
That's a great question. Yeah, I, I think about this a lot actually because you see a lot of like boot camps for developers, but you don't see any for SRE. Yeah. Because a lot of them to go the programming side, but it's like there is the other side where it's like actually understanding the architecture. Because again, I see a lot of the boot camps while they may be coding, they sort of miss like the infrastructure and the overall, right? They're kind of looking at it from this level, but you need someone who kind of understands it. Like, why would we code something in this versus that? And how do platforms interact with each other? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting, right? Like, I, so I'm tempted by the idea of like an SRE just so you know, I think somebody, I think it's like an opportunity waiting for somebody to just snatch up because a lot of people I think also don't realize as SRE, and I can just speak to this, you make just as much, if not more than the developers. So there's all this opportunity if you're financially motivated to go into this thing. And let's say you don't want to write that much code. SRE does, you, sh- you should write code if you're SRE. Let me just say that. But you don't have to, but you should. But basically, um, you know, in SRE, you're going to write like Python and Go would be the big languages versus in software development, JavaScript, Java, you're going to see less of that. But anyway, it's um, how does one go about learning it? Um, I guess I would, the way I would approach it today, because it's changed so much, is I would do the cloud certification. So I would do like the AWS certification, GCP, GCP Azure. And Azure. Yeah, because that's primarily what companies are moving towards in, in, industry-wise. And so if you learn those things, you'll know at least how to operate the clouds, which is a, a layer above where you're going to need more information. You're still going to need to come back down and learn about what's underneath the Docker container, the operating system, what's underneath... Uh, the platform itself, like what, how does a network actually function when these two services want to talk? Because for S, from an SRE perspective, you have to understand all the layers. Um, and this comes from the OSI networking model and, and Cisco networking certifications. But basically, you have to understand the layers, right? You got like physical data link, blah, 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 blah. You have to understand that all the way up because when you're troubleshooting, right, you need to understand everything that can break in between. And it's not an easy thing. So there's, there's a lot, I would say, like a bootcamp for SRE would, would make you learn a lot more than just what a developer has to learn for a bootcamp. So that's maybe why people avoid it um, because you can't get out of knowing the network side. You can't get out of knowing um, all the underlying uh, libraries in the operating system or kernel modules or whatever to like, like you want to, if you want a quick peek into SRE, Google um, the Google SRE uh, issue that they ran into around um, randomness, which is uh, oh the zero, the one, and the solar flares, where they hired those two guys who are what the level? What are they? L elevens, right? They're the only two L eleven guys. You're talking about something different, but the the Google SRE guys are infamous, though. But the, if you read, they had this write up on Reddit years ago where they discovered that um, the, the solar su- flares was it that? No, it's the pseudo randomness entropy that a computer creates for like signing encryption keys. Their like search nodes were all going down and they couldn't figure yeah, out why. Yeah, it was they, had ran, they had ran out of entropy in the operating system. And here's the thing, like a lot of people wouldn't know this. This is why it's so fascinating to me. The only people that would know this is like a Google kernel person that actually knows Linux kernels. Like it's not monitored. There's no, you can't go into proc on the file system and be like, how much entropy do I have left? It doesn't exist, or at least it didn't. I don't know where we're at today. But 10 years ago or 15, when I read that, I was like, holy shit. These dudes are like the level of ninja. Because I'll tell you what normal people would have done. Normal non-Google SRE guys would have been like, reboot them and then get some more of them. <laughs> but they wouldn't yeah, have yeah, figured yeah. out the root cause that it was running out of entropy. But they yeah, did. Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. No, so the other problem I was telling you, so the two guys, so there are two guys on Google. It's like this Indian guy and this Russian guy. And they're both friends. And then one of them doesn't have kids. So when one time takes off and 
the other one works a lot more. And they're L11. So L11s are the only two who have that title. Yeah, right? all I know is that's really high. That's, that's the highest. That's I have the a highest you who's could... an L7 and he makes more than a million dollars a year. So L11 yeah, 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 yeah. Is high. L11 is like, these guys are just like, they make whatever they want. And the thing that they were, Google had a bunch of servers, right? And some of the servers were randomly flipping zero to one. I don't know, something. And obviously I'm not that technical, but something like that. And right. those guys looked in, they, they had to call this these two guys. And they one of the hypotheses was that that solar flares in those regions were causing it. You know, it, they're like at that level. So it, yeah. it, it does like, get it kind of... Be. Like they, that, that's exactly what a friend and I, when we were talking about this, was like, who's in the room at the time troubleshooting the issue who goes, you know, it could be solar flares. Like, because if you said that in certain rooms, people would just laugh and be like, dude, shut up. Like, what are you talking what about? What are you talking about? But then at Google, they'd be like, huh. All right, let me check the weather data. Like they would like, they would just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that's how they do that. And it's because I've been in the room, like I work with a lot of former Google guys too. Like that is how, like we don't, nothing is off limits, guys. We're like, yeah, anything is possible here. Did we run out of oxygen today? Is that the, the you know, how many trees were in the area? Like just, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, so, okay. So it's more of the high level. So now let's say there aren't that many boot camps, right? What are some like entry level jobs to kind of start out with? Just does someone start out at help desk? And what are like the different jobs that you could kind of say, hey, get the certification first? work a couple of years, and this is how you're going to navigate this job? You know, um, I don't know. I think nowadays, I'd probably, like if I was jumping in, I'd probably do web development first because I, I, I just think there's so much um, to offer there. Websites are still just, I had this tweet the other day. I think, I don't know if you saw it, but I basically said like, it's amazing how many businesses are still websites. Like they're they're largely just a website. Like Shopify is just a website, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and it's crushing. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, and and there's a lot of companies like that. PayPal is also just a website. I hate to say it because we don't we didn't like to be called that. Um, it's it's largely become bigger because of like Venmo having an app and stuff. But dude, their revenue is largely from people thin check out on a website, and and they're getting a piece of that revenue. And so building websites, I think, is still the greatest foot in the door for a bunch of reasons. I think you can learn how to do it very quickly. I think um, it's easier to learn because there's this instant gratification aspect of like, I just made this change and I saw it right away. Unlike when you compile bigger applications and you're sitting there all day waiting and you're like, did it work? Oh, God, it failed and you hate your life. So web design, you get into that and then it teaches you a lot about you know how the business, uh, the rest of the business functions because you got to work with marketing, you got to work with sales. Is the copy on the website right? You know, and you may, hey, maybe you'll learn to hate that or love that, but you will learn a lot. And when you're looking to break in, I always give people this advice focus on your learning. Don't focus on your finances. Focus on what you can learn, opportunity to opportunity. I'm still that way today. The reason I'm a CTO is that's like me going back to college. I got to do it all. I got to rip the bandaid off and, and do the hard things. I got nobody to lean on. Well, I do now, but I didn't when I started it. So it's like, you know, but you know, that was the idea is like force yourself to do the hard learnings. And uh, I would start with web design and then, you know, see what uh, gets, you, gets you excited from there. So, okay. So web design and kind of taking the cloud courses, because those are still like accessible, right? Like the website, building websites and passing the cloud certification. And, you know, it's interesting, the person who course I recommend was on the podcast and he doesn't have a college degree. So he teaches, he has a bunch of courses on the uh, Google cloud certification program. So those are some, and you know, it's, I've seen a lot of opportunity once you get your hands dirty on, and it also helps you understand like how does Shopify work and 
you know, how do you make something like that? And then you realize like, hey, one of the reasons they make money is they have they integrate with a lot of apps. So how does integration work? Like, how do you integrate with PayPal? How do you integrate with a payment processor? How do you integrate with other things? How do you make it very developer friendly so other people can do it and then you can get a piece of the pie? And it just opens up a lot, a lot of things. And then, you know, even developing a website, you, you understand, hey, marketing needs this. And the user, right? At the end of the day, it's what the user likes, right? And then also working with Google and how does a Google crawl bot work? And then why is a website builder different than this? And, you know, web page speed and all these little things, you just end up learning so much and all these pieces tying together. I have to tell you a story. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, tell me a story. Tell, no, look, this is your podcast. You were just reminding me of this story. It's like one time down here in Tempe, there, there's a guy, uh, Doug, I forget his last name, starts with a K, and he ran the Amazon office out here in Tempe. And this is maybe like 10 years ago or so, maybe less. And he calls me up, like he randomly meets me on like LinkedIn. He calls me up. He's like, hey, come down for coffee. He's trying to recruit me. I'm like, okay. So I go for coffee and we end up getting tacos. And he's talking to me about how he wants to hire a guy to do capacity for Amazon, capacity for their infrastructure, but not for AWS, for the Amazon marketplace side. And my first question was like, hey, don't you guys use AWS? He's like, no, we don't use AWS. That's external customers. And the internal side, we use something that's worse than AWS. It doesn't have all the features. I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, well, what's your, tell me more about this capacity problem. You're going to love this. I ended up talking myself out of this job. We'll see how in a minute. So like he goes, he goes, yeah, well, um, developers that I've got, you know, they're writing code and they're, they uh, pushed the code to some boxes, but we're having performance issues. So, um, you know, we had like a hundred servers and on this, you know, app that's running, but, you know, we provisioned a thousand and it didn't get any faster and nothing worked. And I'm like, did anybody put him in the load balancer? And he's like, I, I've heard what a load balancer is, so I can kind of understand well, that. I, mean, it's it's, it's, I think it's intuitive what it does. Right. And he goes, that was the problem. And I'm like, you want to hire a capacity guy because you forgot to your developers forgot to put the your their code in the load balancer so that they would start receiving requests like that's that's absurd but that's what it was and this goes back to your your thought process around developers need to know how it all works so that doesn't happen nowadays sre would have caught it like that and that's that role and it's not by the way that was not a capacity role he called it that because he didn't know what like capacity is a very different role i have a friend who does capacity at facebook that's a hard role like, but it's all like that has math, that has all the things, but like, not what we're talking about. This is literally like when you push code, make sure that it's running. <laughs> so, what did your friend say after that? The uh, which which guy? The guy, the Amazon the guy? capacity, the, yeah, capacity. Oh guy. yeah, no, he was just like he was just like yeah, we're just trying to figure out like how to solve it. So they they still wanted they wanted to not make it the developer's problem. And I was like, dude, it, it is their problem. Like you should have a tool that told you that they didn't do their job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Either have a tool. Like, I don't see it. That what, what he needed was like standard process automation, yeah. not like SOP, not like, a like guy. A, hey, a here's guy the guy who's going to. Yeah. I'm like, I don't care what you want to pay. This is like, this is like asking me to come into Amex and I make fun of them because I heard about this job and like run the same shell script for like however X dollars a year. You can pay me millions a year. I'm not doing the job. It's dumb. It's terrible. It's a waste of time. Yeah, it's like those people who get those jobs and like I click one button a week yeah. or when they call me, I just click a button and then that's it. Like, and you, uh, nobody knows. Yeah, it's great. You have this low stress, do nothing job. But where are you going to be in five years? Right? Yeah, no, 100%. Be thinking like, how am I learning and staying sharp in tech? Tech moves freaking quick. Yeah, yeah. 
So you you stayed at PayPal ten years, and then you got another job. How that how that situation happens? So at the end of the ten years there at PayPal, um, they I had sort of made it to the the place I wanted to make it, and I didn't feel I had an opportunity to learn a whole lot more. And I started to feel like I was stagnant in my learning, and so um, I looked for other opportunities, and I found that a group of buddies I had worked with went over to Symantec to do public cloud. At the time, PayPal was running OpenStack Private Cloud, and they were not going to do public cloud. And I recognized this is 2016. I recognized uh, 2015, 2016. I recognized the industry was moving in that direction, and I didn't want to get left behind. So I seized the opportunity. I went to Symantec, and I migrated them from with a, with the team, of course, from OpenStack to AWS. And it was a ton of fun. We did it in two years. And then after that, uh, PayPal called me and said, hey, we're going to public cloud now. <laughs> do you want to come back and do Google Cloud? So I was like, well, yeah, I'd love to do Google Cloud. I'm so glad you guys are doing it. So I went back. And then I did that within you know a couple of years. And then uh, Corey, my co-founder who I met, was like, hey, I got this idea for Aspireship. You want to come do that? And I'm like, helping people get jobs and better their future? Hell yeah. Not like have an alternative path educationally? Yes. That's what I'm all about. Let's do this. So yeah. So how was it sort of leaving that world, you know, going to like the safe job to something sort of new? Oh, one day I'm going to write a book on the psychology of a founder. This is so hard. <laughs> I thought, so if you ask me the hardest thing about doing a startup, it's been this, that my own psychology has struggled. And there's so many aspects to it, right? Because I need the human interaction of hundreds, but I have a small team of 11 total in the company right now. Um, and so it, it takes you longer than you think to grow. It takes you longer than you think to get to these milestones. And you need to mentally prepare, financially prepare, uh, even physically prepare. Um, and and uh, there's just so much that goes into it. And it's, uh, it's just such a, such a struggle. Um, but yeah, leaving the safety, like for me, I want to cover this point for anybody who looks at my career. I kind of did the reverse, right? I think a lot of people, well, some people do this, but I think a lot of people, um, do a startup while they're young. Um, I, you know, didn't go to college. I built my career. I built my nest egg and I did it for 20 years and I did really well and made good money. And then I said, okay, I'm established. I had kids, right? I got kids. I'm established and I can take this risk. Now I'm going to take the risk later as opposed to early. I'm not, know sure which, I'm not sure no, you know, better, but that's the route I went. Yeah. Oh, so, you know, an interesting thing, a lot of people have this misconception, but the average startup founder is above 40. It's like 40 to 50 age. And it is because of that reason. It is one of the things you need for a startup is capital and knowledge and experience. Right. And obviously you get like these Zuckerbergs and the people who are young, but a lot of it's like timing or they come from backgrounds where, if Zuckerberg failed or Gates failed or, you know, they they come from well-off backgrounds, right? They're not going to eat ramen and stuff, right? They'll just, yeah. you know, get a I job. I think, I'm not sure, but I think it's successful founders tend to be over 40. But it might, yeah. be, it might be that there's more of them. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I read so, somewhere that the successful ones are over 40, which yeah, I'm no. not yet. So, God, yeah, yeah. you know, I wish, I hope I'm two years more mature than I am. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I mean, look. Either way, maybe you'll hit ultra success at forty, like and then it. that's, and then you have I'll to, yeah. But you know, a lot of it, and you know, you're so right. Like the psychology of the founder, and I think an important thing for a lot of founders, and I think even if you get it in your career, is understanding the psychology of yourself, right? Because I think one of the top skills that I would say I have is self awareness. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm bad at. I know my, 
you know, I know my limitations. I know like what I can and can't do. I know where I'm going to struggle. I know where I'm going to fail. And I know what other people are going to be better at because it's like you have to delegate. You have to do the best ideas, right? At a big company, you don't necessarily need the best idea for the company to do well, right? You just need average, right? But the diff- for you and I, the difference between a good and a great idea is the difference between, hey, growing a little, maintaining, and growing 10x. Yeah. I, I mean, I also think startups are beautiful for early uh, people in their career for that reason, because your your impact, right? Like your, I call it the trajectory, right? So you, you, a small win could be have massive effects down the road. Um, and so your impact with every decision and everything you do in, in startups is felt. I mean, um, I was teasing my one of my engineers, he was working on something. And I said, dude, like, you know, that somebody on the team needed something. And it was like, add an email address to a page, and he goes and does it. And we had this like, huge moment of relief because they didn't have to like alt tab between tabs like little things matter it saved so much efficiency because in a small company you don't have the automation already built you don't have those types of things to your point in a big company even if you don't build the automation that company survives and thrives because it's going off momentum those the network effects of something like a ebay paypal google facebook netflix blah 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 is they're they're unstoppable to a degree for a long period of time because of the network effects that they have or the exponential effects that they have. So let's kind of dive into something and you probably know, what were some of the mistakes you made along the way that looking back, you're like, ah, I don't make any mistake. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, what are some of the mistakes I made? You know, caring too much, caring too much. Uh, I always would say I, I care too much to a fault. Um, and the reason that's a mistake is your own health, right? Like I, I landed myself in the hospital twice from uh, heart palpitations and that was from stress. And so there are things you cannot control in business. And I do not have great advice on how to handle that, except to say, try to care a little bit less and try to take life a little less seriously when you get to that point. Because if you ever, when I was young, um, you know, pre pre 30, we'll call it because at 30, that started happening pre 30. I realized, uh, I thought I was invincible. And then at 30, I realized that was not my body rejected the level of stress I was taking. And I didn't know it was going to do that. I didn't see it coming. I didn't know there was a limit. I had no clue. But anybody will tell you if you've ever, and this is not burnout. I've been, that's happened. Yeah, burnout's too. different. Burnout's like, yeah. uh, life sucks. Uh, this, is like, this is like, you're putting yourself in the hospital again. And so when that happens, it gives you, you know, perspective, but also you realize how hard it is to get back to neutral. It took me six months of not caring. And I mean, I had to come into my vice president, tell him what was going on. And he was, of course, mad at me for not saying something sooner. And then, you know, I I got taken off of important projects and just to just to reset because they wanted to put me on. I think it's called Xanax or whatever. They wrote the prescription and everything. And I'm like, I'm not taking it. (laughs) But, you know, like um, it was uh, humbling, to say the least. And it was difficult to reset. And so you got to take care of yourself. I think one of the biggest mistakes I made as well as just not taking good care of myself. That means working out. That means eating right. That means going to bed on time. And I'm still not perfect at it, but it's something I try to remain conscious about because it it matters. You know, you, your career, you need to look at as a long run. You're in it for the long run. Make the decisions that pay the dividends, but also make the decisions that you'll be here for tomorrow. I think that's important because it's like, it's it's always tough right you're in a career you want to do everything you want to impress but at some point you know 
some things are so out of your control. Sometimes just someone higher up makes a decision and, you know, that's it. And what can you do? And sometimes putting yeah. that energy towards working out, your family eating right just goes so much further. On this note, don't, I learned this too. Don't put a stake in being right. You know, it, it's okay that you're right and other people aren't going to do that. That's okay. Don't die on that mountain. I see many people do it. It's a mistake because what you need to have happen is let it happen. Whether it's not let them fail, it's let them learn, right? So whether or not you think something is a good idea or bad, you voice your opinion. And once it's been heard and you're sure it's been heard, you move on. Amazon calls it uh, agreeing or disagreeing commit, right? And, and that is the truth. But don't let it eat you because what's going to happen is if they're wrong or if it's wrong, the company will circle back and fix it. But you don't control people's learning process to get there. And, and, and trying to do that will kill you. No, it will. It will. It's going to take a valuable real estate that you could be in your head that you could be using for sort of other things. Now, how has the industry changed over you? Because obviously 99 is different for technology. There are different things you, you, know, you want to focus on, like the A plus certification is not going to get you as far as it would today. No, it would not. No, I wouldn't even recommend it. I mean, well, I would for well-roundedness, but yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, early on now, what are the biggest changes that you kind of see and where are the opportunities now lying more on? So I think, um, speed and sort of, um, I don't know if depth is the right word. It's more like width, but there's just, there's nowadays there's way more to learn than there ever was about computers. <laughs> And so you have to have a plan and be prudent. Like you have to think, okay, um, I need to pick a niche and I need to get good at that niche. So if your niche is SRE, like infrastructure, get good at that. If it's development, pick, pick a certain language to get good at, like JavaScript or whatever. Just pick one because you're going to get distracted by all of this noise. Right? And it, the industry is just moving faster. So like I say, like I'm a CTO. Do you think I know... 15% of what's out there in technology? No, <laughs> not even close. And nobody does. It's a, it's a fallacy. It's an unachievable thing. But what you have to get good at is learning. You have to learn. What about those Google guys? What, yeah, Did those they, Google guys. Well, they, they might they, know 15%. <laughs> well, Google, Google itself probably knows like 50% you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. of the information. But, but you know, you've got to get good at learning. you got to get good at Googling too, by the way, if you're going to be in tech, right? There's the old joke of like, I'm not a programmer without Stack Overflow. And that's 100% true. Like I use, I use it 10 times a day. That's why I hate these interviews where they're like, what's the command with this number of flags? Or what's the library with this? Like, come on, guys. Like, can the person figure it out? That's what you need to know. <laughs> no, I mean, look, Googling is a very interesting, is such it's an important skill. and it's yeah. such an underrated skill because I have, I know someone, right? He works for a company and they had a breach, right? And they didn't know where the breach came from. Now he went online and someone else, they, they had a company, right? And the company would kind of go online to buy these breaches because they, that's how they would find, right? They were the white hat people. And the funny thing is they went online and it was on some forum. The guy was selling the breach and he gave a screenshot of like, hey, here are the databases I have. And his company was on that list. So then they figured out where the breach came from. But it, again, it was because some company, someone in the company knows how to Google, knows how to get somewhere. And it was just coincidence, right? So that's just the power of Googling. We did, we did that exact thing at PayPal. Um, my, my friend was on the security team and he would join the, uh, the where they sell 
the stuff. And one time he went on there, they were selling some stuff from a company I worked at. <laughs> Trying to be really cool here. And he, we were able to stop it because he was there. Playing both sides of the coin, as I call it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I knew a guy. He was, again, he was a black hat guy. But he white-hatted this and he got a 20K bounty for PayPal. But nice. he found a loophole. He was able to reset any PayPal password. Wow. So it was... um. Uh, he white-hatted it, but I, you know, they always tell someone, he said the guy he told ended up getting raided by the FBI like a couple of weeks oh, later. Because <laughs> You know how it is. Some yeah. circles, these people just get greedy and stuff. Yep. And then they want to try that instead of going the bug bounty route. Bug bounty is great, by the way. I love that. Like, that's another thing. If I was starting out, because I used to want to be a hacker, that's how I got into the industry. We didn't really cover that, but I do the bug bounty thing. And I've even thought about doing it to this day because I love a challenge. And that stuff's all about problem solving. And it's really fascinating. Now, can we talk about like the salary, maybe not yours, but just what are the typical salaries like for SREs and sysadmins? Because I know like they really go all over the place and it really depends what you're working on. Right. It's, it's a wide range. And what I, would, what I would sort of caveat or warn here is there's a difference between a big tech company that gives you equity and profit sharing um, versus a maybe a startup or something. Uh, and then, of course, you have the location uh, challenge, right, which doesn't normalize things. Um, so on average though, like if you're SRE and you're in Silicon Valley and you're working at a big company, your salary is going to be near 200. It's going to be like 180 K, but you're also going to get equity and that equity is going to bump you up to like 200. There's, I don't know if you've heard this website levels.io levels.fii. I, I encourage people. To... It's accurate. It is okay, accurate. Good. <laughs> so you can just look on there and see, but I tell people like a lot of the people at my level made half a million dollars a year or more. And, you know, that I tell people, I don't think people understand that about tech. Like you can get into tech and make more than doctors. It's insane. It's sort of absurd. Now you should- Well, not, in a good way. Yes, but you should not, you know, lightly take that just because you want to make money. Wanting to make money is a great motivation, but it shouldn't be necessarily your number one, only because I don't believe you will stick with it and be happy. No, 100%. If that's your just, primary motivation. Yeah, it's because a great I, thing to know though, like, hey, if I do have any interest in computers in any aspect of it, I can make some really good cash. Yeah, and I think like to kind of tell the listeners like why it's important to actually like the things that you do because when you're working on this 40 hours a week, you do have to spend time learning outside. And if you're exhausted from doing your job because you freaking hate looking at tech, you're just going to be dead at the end of the day. And on the negative side as well, there's not a lot of great work-life balance in those jobs. So you might be making killer money, but like my old schedule used to be like, you know, wake up, work, you know, nine to seven, come home for an hour or two and get back to work, you know, for the next five hours. And I know a lot of people that work that schedule in tech. So you know, it's, and look, you're maybe somewhat in control, but there's this expectation to your point, you got to stay current, you got to get your work done when customers aren't impacted. Like there's, there's a lot that goes into that. So you got to take into account, maybe you got to carry a, a cell phone and they call you, um, you know, 3am. Yeah. And, and you can't go anywhere for that week. You miss birthdays, you miss weddings, you miss, you name it. So there are trade-offs, but you know, there's also jobs that aren't like that in tech. And you, you know, in my view, you just trade off money for it. And so that's how you make those decisions. Yeah. And the thing is, I think tech, it, they're very forgiving. So I want to kind of ask this, was there ever a time like a lack of a college degree stop you from a promotion? Or because I know you say to a, the same company, did it ever stop you from a promotion? Like, hey, Jason, uh, you can't, this HR says, blah, blah, blah. You need to have a comp science degree. Did you ever experience that? And I have never once been asked if I have one. 
Okay, good. In good, any good. way, shape, or form. When people find out I don't, they're like flabbergasted. And I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> so was it common to come across or do you do you know of other coworkers that you had that didn't have college degree or just, uh, just didn't really come up? It's very uncommon. Um, there are definitely other coworkers that don't have college degrees, but it's been very uncommon. Uh, mo- and, and that could be because of the climates I worked in because of the places I worked in. Um, they tend to be more senior and they tend to have more experience. But, you know, as I told you my story, I kind of was fortunate enough to get into a company like PayPal and eBay because... I got there at a time when it was so early on um, that that was acceptable. Um, and that was 2005. And um, they uh, now I think it's, it's harder to do, but because of, you know, a reputation or a, um, or a referral, you're going to be able to break down uh, the door and get in. Yeah. Have you ever felt insecure about not having the degree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about that. Great question. Early days, not not anymore. <laughs> now it's like this weird advantage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but in the early days, absolutely. Imposter syndrome. I heard another podcast member talk about it. Uh, podcast guest, excuse me. Um, and, and, you know, it's what propelled me. I was so insecure about not having it. I knew I had to work two, three times as hard and, and learn as much as I possibly could. And so always trying to prove myself, always, you know, all that stuff until somewhere around the 10 or 10 year mark in, it just didn't matter anymore. At that point, I was a known quantity. I had such a network that I could call up any place and get a job and people knew my worth. They knew my value, knew my uh, ability. And that was enough. And now I, yeah, I just don't even you know, think about it, but, but it's cool. Cause now I get like an opportunity on your podcast, which I would not have had if I went to college, which is crazy. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is I get a lot of people who ask me to be on my, he's like, Hey, I love to be on a podcast. And I always look, if someone doesn't tell me they don't have a degree, I always look for a reason to say no. And I just go and it's like right there. I was like, yes, because I know how it is for my fellow people without degrees. Yeah. And I get, I get, um, people all the time who are more impressed by the fact that I don't have one than if I did, right? It's expected that I do, but I don't. And so I consider it a huge advantage. It's also like um, up there on the shelf. I, I know most of them are, are listeners. They don't see the video, but I got a, a album plaque because I used to be a hip hop producer. Oh, what? Well, how did you, how'd you manage this? When did this happen in your life? Just part of what I was doing after high school. And, um, and people, when they find this out, are like just shocked. Right. They're like, what you? I'm like, yeah, I ran a whole label for like eight years. It wasn't like a small thing. We got to, we got to talk. How, how did this happen? Why'd you get out of it? Tell me about this. Oh, I got out of it. Cause I got married and I always knew that was going to happen. You know, I just don't have the time anymore. Now I still have all my equipment. It's in the other room. Um, and, and people ask me all the time, do you still do it? And I'm like, yeah, once a year, I break it out and I do it. I think I'll revisit the whole like making music thing when my kids are old enough to appreciate it, which they're probably a year or two away. They're, they're six and seven. I got two boys, but, um, but uh, that's how I got out of it. How I, did you ask, I don't know, like how I got into it. I, I just, I love music and I ran into somebody someday who said he was making music. I went to his house and uh, like an old friend from high school, I ran him at the gas station Went over there, I saw what he was doing, and I was like, I could do that. That's easy. What, what type of music? Uh, just hip-hop. Oh, uh, you know you know what's interesting? So, I almost got Rock Kim on the podcast. What? The God? The God MC? Yeah, so, so I have a contact at iHeartRadio, and then I was like, look, here's one of my dreams. I, she owed me a favor, and she was like, all right. And she met him, you know, because she was in the studio, and he was like, yeah, I'd love to be on the podcast. She's like, just talk to my manager. 
but she was like how the agent wasn't like is one of the annoying agents that's like so i gotta but she's she's still trying to get that but that's like my one of my dream guests rock came and nas if i got them i would be that would be like just just so you know because i dealt with a lot of the industry artist managers and the difference between having a good manager and having a bad one is the difference in the artist's career it's amazing to me like there are certain artists i won't name names that i worked with where i was like if if your manager was better your career would be much further but because your manager is the way they are, nobody wants. Yeah, to you're kind of you're kind of stuck. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it makes a big difference. So that's like, um, I'm trying to think. So one of the guys I had, Caffrey J, on the podcast. If you listen to his episode, he opened for Rock Kim. I mean, I almost, I almost listened. I saw his name. I almost yeah, listened. Yeah, to that yeah. I didn't have enough time. I got to like. Two yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so but if you listen to his episode, he was saying he didn't get paid for it. He, he was like mad, but he did like get to open for him. So that's like his like as a you know as a rapper. That's like you know the high one of the highlights of the, the career. So no, that that that's cool. It just really shows that if you're learning and you know there's always things that you can kind of do if you kind of put your mind to it. So let's we're kind of towards the end now. Is there anything that you kind of want to discuss to someone um, that we haven't discussed already? No, just to recap, like you know, learn how you learn. And um, don't get discouraged. Um, I also want to be very clear that I'm, and you saw this on Twitter the other day, it was a thread. I'm supportive of college. I don't have anything against college. I put money away every month for my kids to go to college in case they want to. What I will not do is force them because everybody learns different and they need to decide how they want to learn and what they want to learn and how they want to go about doing that, whatever's best for you. But just be a student of learning, student of lifelong learning, figure out the best way you learn. Some people are, you know, better learners with video courses. Some people are not. Figure it out, figure out the best way you learn and pursue the thing that you can be passionate about because it's the thing you will stick with. And if you don't know what you want to do yet, just go and do something and doors, you know, will open and fall into place. Follow that YouTube advice I gave earlier. Start putting yourself out there. Someone will find you and, and introduce you to things you never knew existed. And possibly take you under their wing or refer you to a person who referred you to another person who referred you to another person. And that's how, you know, opportunities are created for people. I mean, great advice. Now, how would people support you? How would people follow you? Um, I, I, I mean, I support me. I, I don't know. But you can just go to JasonRidell.com. I have my uh, website and on there I have my link tree and it's got all my stuff. Yeah. Okay. And how would people support, like, going to Aspireship? Can you tell us a little yeah, bit Yeah, I mean, just tell that? your friends that if they're looking for an opportunity to break into the software sales, uh, SaaS sales, or if they just want to learn more, um, but if they're looking to get a, a job uh, that you know pays them more and they think they've got the ability to sell, they should go through our free course. And uh, if they graduate, we'll help them get a job. They wow, won't that's amazing. Anything. We just charge the employers for the education and vetting of talent. So. No, I think that's an amazing model. And I'm so glad that there are more companies sort of going towards the model because it's like, I wish that was around when I was there. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you uh, looking forward to kind of following up and looking forward to seeing your company grow. Thank you, Janet. I had an excellent time. Thanks for having me on. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. 
If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing in and knowing, wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in and knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.